Yes, sir. What's happening, guys? Welcome back to Creating Space. I'm your host, Wes Knight. TEDx Talks, TED Talks, they are incredible. I spend a lot of my day with them in my ears on my YouTube channel, checking any of the speakers out who I feel their topics are engaging and are relevant to to my day, and I'm sure a lot of you guys do as well. Well, TEDx Charlotte took place not too long ago, and there were waves of reverberation from one speaker in particular. His name is Charles Hunt. Charles Hunt is a Charlotte native. He's uh, originally from Portland, Oregon, but he's a Charlotte native now, and he rocked the stage at TEDx Charlotte. He's talking all about pure resiliency, and he's doing that on a day-to-day basis at his company, The Audacity Firm, where he basically teaches people how to live a more resilient life through better thinking changing the way people think to help change their life. Charles Hunt, he's a warrior of light. And I had the opportunity to head over to his house, his own personal space. He invited me into his place to capture this episode. And it was such a good hour spent together that I think I wanted to create the first ever two-part series. So Charles Hunt's story is going to come two weeks back to back, and it's going to be in two episodes, two separate episodes. I'm extremely excited to welcome to you one of the most celebrated speakers from TEDx Charlotte 2016 and a guy of incredible morals and values and extreme resiliency. Let's welcome onto the show, Mr. Charles Hunt. Charles Hunt, what is happening, my, my brother? man, what's good? How are you? Hey, life is good. I am so excited that you would have even invited me into your home to get the story of Charles Hunt. How are you feeling today? Uh, I'm honored and humbled that you would even feel like my story is worthy. So I appreciate you taking the time to come in with me. What do you mean, man? Not only I feel your story is worthy, TEDx Charlotte feels your story is ready and your wave at the show and beyond is massive and growing larger. How does that feel to walk away knowing that your story resonated with the entire audience? You know, honestly, I'm still trying to walk, learn to walk in that praise that you just gave me, right? So being able to uh, do what I set out to do, which was to hopefully impact people with my message, to hopefully give someone some food and some uh, seeds that they can uh, then grow with uh, going forward. To see it play out not only at the event with the scores of people who were waiting, like people actually waiting in line to shake my hand or to tell me that something that I said resonated or show me notes that they took, whole pages of notes that they took, um, or, you know, even subsequent conversations where, you know, complete strangers are saying, hey, do I know you? Mm. Um, it's been a very surreal and I mean, honestly, I keep using the word, but it's a really humbling experience to know that I actually did touch people in that way. So what is impact to Charles Hunt? Impact is making a mark, leaving a mark, right? That, um, there was some impression that was, uh, that remains even after the physical event is done, right? So the TED Talk was three weeks ago, right? I left the stage three weeks ago almost. Um, And so, you know, impact is that even after the event, 
that there's still something that resonates. There's still something that remains as a uh, reminder, a testament to, you know, this thing happening, this event happening, this talk happening, uh, my presence happening. Mm, that's it's, powerful. It, 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 like I said, man, it's, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's, it's really, really humbling. And it makes me smile. Like there's um, an internal joy and it's not so much in um, a personal satisfaction for myself or for a gratification for myself. It's the knowing that I did something to help somebody else. Like I truly do enjoy making someone else better. Right. Like, so, you know, I ended my Ted talk for those who you know, may not have seen it yet. Um, I ended it by, you know, I, I went through a whole bunch of stuff that was, you know, negative and hurtful and, um, you know, huge obstacles. But I thanked everyone for giving my trauma a purpose like mm -hmm. that. That was real for me. Like the fact that everything that I went through, that it's now actually helping somebody else, it gives it purpose and it helps me in dealing with what dealing with what I experienced. But also it now gives life to somebody else. And that's that's an amazing thing. Gives life and it allows someone to take a bit of your oxygen mask put it onto their face and breathe new oxygen. Absolutely. That's powerful. I love that analogy. That's very powerful. I'd love to start this off with a bit of your energy and your oxygen, Charles. So tell me right now, other than the Dunkin' Donuts that are sitting right in front of your face right now, tell me what you're juiced about, what you're excited about, what's pulling you out of bed. Um, you know, honestly, I think about it in terms of things just like this, right? So you're build, you're building this amazing, massive platform that's kind of motivating folks to live, do, and be better. And the fact that I can now have a platform that can not only help uh, magnify others, right, but also magnify a message of, look, just as I'm unbreakable, you're unbreakable too. Like, I'm no Superman. I'm no... Um, individual that's been given some excessive power that's greater than you. I'm a human being, right? I feel I um, have all the makings of a human just as you. And so the opportunity to, you know, build my own platform, but also to be used to help build others platform and to help all, and all of us to then use that platform to help make others better. Like mm. that makes that genuinely makes me juice. You know, my, my company's motto is to, you know, helping people live, do and be better. This podcast is an amplification of that. You what you're doing right now is you're a magnet and you're pulling people in close to you that have the same message, want to be a part of your message and are, are looking to become a better version of themselves. It's what creating space is all about. Absolutely. So let's get into that story a little bit. Um, I noticed through your TED Talk, you've been through a number of challenges, a lot of challenges which would significantly redirect people into dark times in their lives. You've chosen to go towards the light, which I love, which is this is what this is all about. But let's, let's get back to the beginning. The first thing I wanted to talk about is, is the fact that you said that you grew up in a, in a household with a mother who was a drug addict. Yeah. At what point in your life did you realize that your mom was going through that struggle? And I, I grew up pretty quick. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, uh, you know, the, the, the talk only detailed, you know, just a, a few of the, the many um, 
adversities and, and hardships that I had to face. Right. So, you know, I would say probably as early as, you know, six, maybe is when, you know, you really start to recognize like, hey, you know, things are maybe a little bit different um, and not every kid, you know, maybe has these same these same experiences. Uh, but, you know, living in the projects will force you to grow up quick. You know, living in a dope house will force you to grow up even quicker. Whoa, you grew up at one point in a dope house. In a dope house, in a drug house. So, what is that like? Um, you know, you don't really make a big deal about it, you know, initially, but things happen and incidents occur that are, you know, outside of the boundaries of normal once you, once you grow up and you mature. Like, wait a minute, I don't... I don't know if that's necessarily supposed to happen, right? right? So, you know, coming home and seeing, you know, mounds of cocaine on the table or, you know, seeing crack being made at a, you know, really, really young age and, um, you know, having someone come through your place shooting, right? And seeing somebody jump through a window trying wow. to get away from the people that are shooting. Um, you know, things that I saw certainly in the home were, you know, abhorrent, but, you know, just neighborhood stuff, right? Like, it wasn't uncommon to... Um, you know, see police kicking in a door, you know, I've had my police, my door kicked in by the police before, um, or seeing, you know, brutality or seeing, seeing the impact of, you know, what I would later come to understand as, you know, the impact of the war on drugs, the impact of the crack epidemic, the impact of housing segregation and redlining and, um, and, and discrimination, um, high unemployment rates. So, you know, and I, I actually mentioned those things in my TED talk. Um, and there was a very strategic reason for doing so. One was to make sure that, um, the biggest way I would say it is to humanize my mom and my dad, right? Like I didn't feel like I would be doing them the proper justice or service if I only dropped in that, Hey, my mom was a drug addict. My dad was murdered while he was in while he was in prison. Um, that doesn't give the full story, right? Because the full story or a fuller story is that while certainly they had their own demons and their imperfections, they also existed in a construct that didn't necessarily allow the best of them to flourish, right? So they had some things against themselves. And so for me, it was a way of kind of humanizing my parents and like, you know, I, I love my mom. I love my dad. Like, you know, certainly, um, you know, they had some, uh, some adversity in fa- in front of them. And, right. you know, I'm sure they wish they would have made different decisions. I certainly wish they would have as well, but they're my mom and my dad. And I certainly can understand that, um, just as, you know, I have my own construct that I operate in as a, you know, a young black man, they had theirs that they had to deal with as well. It gives you an ability to see them in the light of love and to understand that what they were going through was tough. Absolutely. And a lot of times they don't or didn't have the opportunity or the influences to help get them out of that construct. Absolutely. To deconstruct the construct. Absolutely. It was, um, you know, kind of exploitive. Right. Sure. Like it exploited the worst of themselves instead of the best of themselves. That's very right? interesting. And that's that's unfortunate. But, um, you know, again, for me, it was like I had to make sure that that component was clear. Like they weren't just bad people. Right. Sure. They weren't just bad parents or whatever. Like, no, they had some things that they were fighting up against that unfortunately got the better of that. Have you always felt that love towards your, your family? No, no. Um, well, I think, you know, the relationship between my mom and my dad were different. 
um, you know, I, and I love them both, but you know, my dad was murdered when I was 10. So, Whoa. you know, he was just taken from me, um, at a very, very young age. How? Um, he was actually in prison. Um, he was, uh, jumped in a prison fight. Um, afterwards had complained of some, uh, some headaches and, uh, some, some issues, um, ended up collapsing in his cell. Um, Wimp was finally given some uh, medical treatment, um, however, lapsed into a coma and uh, never recovered. And he was uh, declared brain dead. Wow. And uh, my family had to make the decision to pull him off of uh, off of life support. Um, and it was, a, you know, just a very, very painful, you know, experience. Like, you know, easily, you know, top two. You How know, old were you at this three. time? I was 10 years old. Whoa. So very impressionable. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I love my dad. Like, you know, I knew that, um, I knew that he loved me. Um, you know, again, wasn't necessarily a you know perfect guy or whatever, but, you know, took me to the park, took me to the movies, you know, spent time with me. Like one of the things that I had to come to terms with was the times where I didn't accept his invitations. Right. So there were times where, you know, you're a kid, you're eight, nine years old, you're playing with your friends, right? That, you know, once, hey, let's go and do woom woom. I'm playing with my best friend. Let's, you know, we're riding bikes. We're doing what kids do. Um, and for the longest time, I had a bunch of regret that, you know, I didn't take advantage of all of that time that I had with him, you know, but, you know, you don't know that you only get 10 years and that's it. Right. Um, so, you know, there's always been a level of reverence, I think, you know, for my dad. Um, you know, he was, he was a good dude. Um, I thought he was like the coolest cat, you know, coolest cat out. Um, Every kid feels like their dad is Superman. Right. Yeah. Um, with my mom, like I love my mom to pieces and like, I knew that I was her baby, right? Like I knew that she loved me, uh, to pieces and I loved her. I think the thing that made it difficult for me was seeing her in that state you know as her addiction progressed and you know she got to the point where she wasn't holding jobs and i went to live live with my grandmother when we were i think about nine years old um so it was very difficult to see your mom see my mom in this state and to not be able to care for me and protect me and love me the way that you know i felt like you know i needed or wanted um and to see her you know going through the things that she was going through and so um, I think a lot of it turned into anger. Um, and so for the longest time, um, you know, and there were certainly a, a gang of incidents, you know, as I lived with my grandmother, with my mom's addiction, where, you know, she would give me money and, you know, come and take it, you know, ask for it back and right. um, family disturbances and things of that sort. And it just built a lot of like resentment um, that this is, you know, kind of the experience and the life that I'm living. Um, and so it, you know, we, we had a relationship where we were, you know, cordial and in contact, but again, she didn't live with us. It was you know, my grandmother took over raising uh, me and my older sister when we were, I was like nine years old, I think eight, about nine years old. And um, so, you know, from that point on, I never lived in the house permanently with my mother. Like she never had custody of me again. It was my grandmother up until my senior year of high school. And then I've been on my own ever since. Um, well, the middle of my senior year of high school, I've been on my own ever since. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of built this, you know, resentment, especially as, you know, I'm going to school, you know, I graduate high school, go to college. Um, 
I'm working full time, going to school full time, trying to build, you know, a little bit of a better life and, and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, like I said, it was just really painful and hurtful to see my mom in the state that she was in. Sure. And it wasn't until uh, I was probably mid 20s, I want to say maybe 24, 25, where a light bulb kind of went off where yeah, I started thinking about my experience and what it was like for me being raised by my grandmother. Um, and you know, some of the issues that, you know, she and I had, um, and I love my grandmother to death and I'm so grateful that she did take me and my sister in, um, but it wasn't always easy living with her either. And so one day, um, it finally dawned on me. It's like, well, all right, well, if that was your experience, what do you think it might've been for her, for your mom? Right. Um, and that's when like that empathy kicked in. Right. Where I, I started to see my mom in a completely different light. So understand um, the family dynamics that we had um, and how different things might have impacted her. Understood the societal uh, construct that she was operating in, how that might have impacted her. And so I began to see her, you know, more from that spirit of love. Now, I still had a whole bunch of hurt sure. you know, in my heart of things that, you know, the relationship you just want with your mom that I couldn't have, you know, that's, that's still hurt. But I also began to see her with a lot more love and a lot more empathy. So what was the difference between the way your mother raised you and the way your grandmother raised you? Um, you know, my grandmother, you know, bless her heart and her soul. She uh, passed away uh, a few years ago. I noticed she loved me, um, a lot. Um, but she also tended to play a little bit of favorites. Um, and, my older sister was kind of like her baby. So my mom had my sister when she was 18. Um, and then I came along when she was 23, I believe. Just turned 23. Um, and so my sister was kind of like my grandmother's baby. I was kind of like her favorite. And I became, you know, kind of like my mom's ba- baby or favorite, right? Um, and, you know, I think the same kind of manifested it, it felt as if the same manifested in my mom and her brother, my uncle's relationship. My uncle was older. That was kind of like my grandmother's favorite. My, aunt, my mom, not that she didn't love my mom, because I know that she loved her dearly. Um, but you could just see subtle differences in the way that both were treated. Um, and my grandfather passed away before, uh, before I was born, so I never got a chance to meet him. Um, but I, from what, you know, just passing down family history, I know that my um, mom was like my granddad's baby, right? And Got so, it. again, when you start thinking about that empathy, it's like, all right, so what was it like for my mom to be in a situation or a construct where, you know, sure, sure her mom loves her, but, you know, she, maybe she doesn't necessarily feel it in She's the same She's not receiving way. the type of love from her, her mother that she wishes for. And exactly. For. And she loses her big advocate and her champion. Got it. Got it. So what do you think that says about the self-love that a human, a child most, most definitely receives from a parental figure that's so important? Oh, it's critical. It's critical, right? It helps to um, shape your worldview, your perspective, your confidence in self, um, the way that you navigate adversity. Like there's a host of different things that, you know, come as a result. Um, now that stated, um, you know, I didn't grow up with, you know, all of those ideal things. So it's not something that is, um, 
immutable or something that can't be uh, somehow navigated if it's not ideal, but it certainly makes it a lot more difficult, right? Right. So what parts of you do you think were subject or constructs from your mother? And what do you think were positive aspects about you that your grandmother has influenced into your life? You know, um, so my mom, uh, you know, I was talking about, you know, top two or three hurtful things. Like, so one was my mom's, uh, my dad's passing. The other was uh, the way that my mom passed. Um, and I had always figured that, you know, when my mom passed, I, I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time. And I'd always figured that, you know, I just get a call, you know, someone telling me, Hey, you know, mom isn't, you know, either she passed away or, you know, whatever. And I'd come home, tend to arrangements and, you know, that would be that. Um, and it didn't quite happen like that. And I'm so like thankful and blessed. It's like one of the greatest experiences. And then one of the like most traumatic experiences at the same time. Um, so my mom had, um, had a condition where her blood pressure was just really, really low. Um, and the only um, correction would have been to perform surgery. But she, her her state had deteriorated to where she was so weakened that they didn't feel like she would survive the surgery. So the family had to come home or everyone met with the doctors. I flew home um, and we all met with the doctors. They gave us the prognosis and we had to make the decision that we were going to uh, stop administering uh, the drugs that were artificially basically keeping her alive. Um, and so I think this was a Monday we met with the doctors and we had made the decision that we were going to do it on Wednesday. So those couple of days in between, um, yeah, I just, you know, started being a bit more introspective about my relationship with my mom, my feelings or whatever. Um, and I ended up just pinning her a letter. Right. And, And actually at this point, she's no longer responsive. She's no longer, um, engaging in any, you know, meaningful response or what have you. Um, and so I decided to write the letter. Or I wrote this letter. And then on Wednesday, um, the day we were going to stop administering uh, the medicine, um, you know, I finally had her all to myself. Family had all left and everything. And I had kind of purposed in myself that I'm going to be with my mother up until she passes. Um, this is kind of like um, my act, uh, you know, my gift so to speak to her. Right. Like, so I felt like there were so many times where because of my own pain and my own, uh, emotions that I felt like I couldn't be there. I'm going to be there for this time. Right. So I read her this letter. And one of the things to get to your question, one of the things that I had several of the things that I've mentioned in that letter is like, I had spent so much time kind of resenting my mom like because you know we'd meet friends and uh, some of her friends and she'd be so proud and you know beaming here's my son he's you know living in in Oregon he's doing this thing and this thing he's graduated from here blah 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 it's like she had all this pride and I used to be like offended almost and resentful like wait a minute like I I did this like in spite of you like it it wasn't (laughs) like um, because you helped me do this stuff or whatever and so like it really just kind of used to rub me the wrong way um, as I was penning the letter and just thinking about it, and I was thinking about like all the really dope things that I like about myself, my love of music, my love of sports. Like, you know, my mom took me to A's games when I was like, Oakland A's games when I was like five years old and submitted applications for me to be Bat Boy for like two or three years, like when I was six, seven, eight years old. Um, 
my love of, of dance and the little bit of artistic flair that I do have, you know, that's from my mom. Uh, I like to think that my intellect is from my mom. Like before her addiction, like, you know, to a man, everyone says, you know, my mom was a great person and a very, very smart woman. Um, very intellectually sharp, common sense uh, woman. Um, and so I'm starting to think about all of these things. And it's like, wait a minute, like, I am my mother's son. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, all these That's things. a very powerful realization for you in that moment, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, it was pride. You know, even despite the stuff that she had been through and the experiences and all the negativity and all of that stuff, like, no, like, you know, she is a fantastic woman. And well, I am her son. And I'm proud of that. Like, it went from being um, thinking that I had somehow succeeded in spite of her to, no, I, I actually succeeded because of her. Mm. And so I read it to her. And, dude, like, when I tell you, like, she couldn't, she didn't respond at all, you know, nothing verbal, but like a single tear came out of her eye no way. as i was reading it no way the level of joy and happiness that that singular moment brought me i wow. don't know if it well i don't I know if it could be tough. hearing that like it, it was truly truly amazing like it, it made me feel like all the stuff that we had you know gone through in yeah, our relationship come to peace we come to peace like and i felt like she could die and I could die and we would both be okay. And one of the big things I wanted to let her know is that I forgave her. Like mm. I didn't have any ill feelings or ill will. So yeah. like, nah, like you, you're good. I love that. That was the moment where you had realized that the pain that was caused was the success, the reason for the success. And then you had kind of come to the understanding created the peace and the love in between the dynamic and then you had let it go. Absolutely. And she was so excited to hear that. Even when you think or thought maybe that she couldn't hear you, she was right she there could. with you in that moment. Right. So like, what do you to have that to say? Let's, let's talk a little bit about that dynamic, the relationship between pain and success. Mm -hmm. Because it's a lot of what you see, I'm sure, with the Audacity Firm and, and pushing people to move forward and deconstructing things that have, has happened to them in their life and letting them know that resiliency is key and that you can be unbreakable. Nothing matters that has happened. What really matters is what you can be moving forward. What's that relationship like to you, the relationship between pain and success? Um, you know, I've come to realize that, you know, it, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond, right? Like, as long as you are alive, you are going to experience change, right? right? There's nothing that you can do to create immunity from that. You're just going to have to face it, right? And you don't need any assistance on the positive stuff. That's the easy stuff, right? That's great. But it's that negative stuff that really does require us to sometimes build a new set of tools to be able to process and deal with it, right? Um, and so, you know, for me, it was, you know, just a, re a review of all of the different things that have happened to me and like, how have I um, managed to get by? Right. And each situation isn't necessarily the same. Like I might pull some, you know, one thing out of the toolkit for this issue 
I might pull something else out of the toolkit for another issue. Right. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, I've realized that there's a purpose in virtually everything that I go through. Nothing that happens to me is by happenstance or isn't um, made out to have some reason for happening. Right. So, you know, I, I told the story about how great it was with my mom. Well, um, you know, I said I purposed in my heart that I was going to be with her until the very end. I'm riding this wave, right, that she had just given me with this tear. Like, I am excited. Doctors had said that there would be probably 24 to 48 hours before she would pass. So I packed, you know, some change of clothes and toiletries and everything. I'm staying at the, ho- at the hospital until she passed. I'm going to be by her side. Sure. I've, I've made this decision in my mind. This is my act of service right. for my mom. Um, a couple hours in, I'm just sitting in a chair. She's laying on uh, in her bed um, in a room. We have a room to ourselves, and uh, I'm propped up on two chairs, and it's a bit uncomfortable. So, you know, I'll just say to my mom, "Hey, I'm gonna head to the car, get a couple hours of sleep." You know, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm gonna be here for a while, right? So, tell my mom, "Hey, I'm gonna go to the car, get a couple hours sleep. I'll be right back." Um, went to the car slept for like three hours or so um and woke up and then just told myself like look you're gonna be here a while like you know get yourself you know some good sleep so that you can be rested went to sleep for another hour and i woke up and was like okay i'm i I feel good let's go back in i walk in and um i go to my mom's uh to her room and uh, her eyes are open, but she's not breathing. And um, I'm, I stood, stood there for a second. And I'm looking to see if, like, you know, maybe she's doing a deep inhale or something. Sure. Or, um, she never, never does after about 10, 15 seconds or so. Wow. And so I walk out of the room and I'm going to the nurse's station. And as I'm walking to the nurse's station, one of the nurses is walking to me. Um, and you know, I'm somewhat panicked. I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't know if my mom's still breathing. Right. And she says, um, uh, I was hoping to catch you coming in a different way. Um, you know, your mom passed away. Um, and, uh, my next question was how long ago? And she said 15, about 15 minutes. And my heart just like sank. Right. Not so much. I mean, certainly it hurt that she had passed, but to purpose it in my heart, my spirit, that I'm going to be there for her, um, you know, as our thing, so to speak, uh, or my act of service to her and to not be able to accomplish it was soul crushing. Like I can imagine. Um, and especially, you know, I, I grew up a, a bit of an athlete, um, and I kind of have this, you know, in some respects, I can have a black and white approach. Did you get it done or, or you didn't? Sure. Right. And in that moment, I didn't get it done. And there's no way for me to get a duo. Right. It's a one shot deal. I hate to do it, guys. I hate to do it. But this story is so compelling. It's so fascinating that it's worth spending some time reflecting on it, appreciating its value, and understanding why and how Charles's story has helped him evolve as a human being. And it's the driver behind why he's helping others now evolve as a human being. It's 
the essence of creating space. It's so, so good. And this is a guy who I think is going to continue to change lives for the rest of his life. So making it a two-part series, the story is too compelling, too good not to do so. So come back next week on the first episode of 2017. We'll have the rest of the Creating Space story, the story behind Charles Hunt and the magic that he's pushing throughout society. <laughs>